0: Shalom, this is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries. Welcome to Jewish Awareness Podcast, a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. On Friday nights at our headquarters, we host a Bible study. Generally, we do verse-by-verse studies of different books of the Bible. These studies can be viewed live through the JAM Facebook livestream platform on Fridays. If you have questions or like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org. Email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919-275-4477. Enjoy the Bible study. Seven, so we're... We're we're, we're two chapters down the road, as it were, from uh, what happened in the womb. Number of years. And Isaac his father answered and said unto him. Now we're going to go back and pick up some of this whole story, but I just want to share the blessing initially. Isaac his father answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. And by thy sword shalt thou live and shalt serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. Now there's a lot of parts to this blessing. Um, Esau was not too thrilled with it. If you read on in the text, uh, in the scripture, uh, he, was, he was very upset. He even wanted to say, I'm going to kill my brother. You know, and uh, that, that's how upset he was. But initially said, you shall dwell with the fatness of the earth and the dew of heaven from above. Now, they would be blessed with material goods in their midst, but not live among them. Now the same phrase we'll see is used in the blessing to Jacob with one difference. Look, Turn, turn the page over, the blessing to Jacob, then we'll turn back where we were. Therefore God give thee, and this is Isaac blessing Jacob now, therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth. The same type of thing that was mentioned to Esau, but, but notice the, the last phrase of verse 28. And plenty of corn and wine. You're going to feast. You're going to have uh, materialism galore, if you will. And so going back to Esau and the blessing to Esau, that's left out. Your dwelling shall be in the fatness of the earth and the dew of heaven from above. You're going to be in the area of this prominence, materialistic speaking, but the implication is it's not yours. You will not get it. And actually there are a number of uh, commentators, Barnhouse for one, others as well, who indicate that the blessing Isaac bestowed on Esau actually said this, your dwelling shall be from the fatness of the earth. That is, Esau and his descendants would be living as nomads in mostly wilderness lands. They would be near the blessing, but they wouldn't get it. They would be nomads in wilderness lands. And that does seem to be the intent of the blessing when contrasted with what we just looked at with the blessing to Jacob, because it is specifically said to Jacob again, at the end of it, you're going to get plenty of corn and wine. Doesn't say that for Esau. And we do know that the uh, descendants of Esau and Ishmael are all kind of in the same boat, if you will, uh, would become nomadic people and would ultimately be in a very desert type of land and not prosper in that way. That's part of the blessing. Number two, they would live by the sword. Verse 40, and by thy sword shalt thou live. That's been the history of the Arab world, which is the uh, descendants of Esau. Uh, They've been at war. They've oftentimes been at war with themselves. Uh, They've certainly been at war forever with Israel. Whenever Israel's been around, uh, the history of Esau and his descendants would be living by the sword. Ultimately, they will serve their brother. Now, I think the, the fullness of this blessing is found in the millennial kingdom. When Israel is exalted and all the nations of the world uh, will be Um, acquiesce or whatever word you want to use uh, to Israel as the head of the nations when God puts them up there. Uh, But they will, as it says, um, serve thy brother. But when they have power, they will war against the Jewish people, the power of the nation. That's the end of verse 40. Uh, And it shall come to pass when thou shalt have dominion that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. So you are going to persecute the Jewish people. When you have that dominion, when you have that ability, when you have that power, you are going to do that. And that has been fulfilled historically as well. So there is a blessing that Esau gets. That's the blessing to Esau from Isaac. Now, why should Isaac bless Esau? Go back to Genesis chapter 25 verse 23. There's two nations. There's two manner of people. One will be stronger than the other. The other shall serve the younger. Because he knew that God had made a promise. God's word was that both Esau and Jacob would be blessed. And by faith Isaac blessed esau following through on what god had already established in his word had to come to pass unquestionably certainly in my mind knowing that rebecca had shared this with her husband he knew he had to do it he knew god wanted him to do it and he did it well the same though comes to jacob turn your paper over Therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven, and the fatness of the earth, and plenty of corn and wine. That's to Jacob. So Jacob, you're going to be blessed with material goods, plenty of corn and wine. And uh, down through the ages, uh, generally speaking, the Jewish people have been blessed. Jacob and his descendants, which would be the Jewish people, have been blessed with material goods. If you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. I, I, I'm sure we've looked at this in the past. I should have put it down here in the notes. But Deuteronomy chapter 8, talking about the Jewish people coming out of Egypt, going through the wilderness. And in verse 11, God says to Israel, to the Jewish people, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God. Moses is speaking, God speaking through Moses. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Israel, Jewish people, don't forget God. Remember what he's taught you and told you and commanded you, lest when thou is eaten and art full and has built goodly houses, and dwelt therein. And when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou has is multiplied. Is that material blessing? Good houses? Silver? Gold? Increase in the flock? This is material blessing you're going to be blessed materialistically jewish people but when you are don't forget the lord thy god and what he's told you to do verse 14 then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the lord thy god which brought thee forth out of the land of egypt from the house to bondage who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions in drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of Flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do these good at the latter end. Don't forget the Lord thy God. Everything I did for I brought you out of Egypt, I fed you, I brought water out of the rock, I did all of this stuff for you. You're going to get gold and silver and herds and and all this good stuff, materialistically speaking. Beware that your heart be lifted up. Verse 17, and thou say in thine heart, my power and the might of mine hand have gotten me this wealth. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you wealth, gold and silver and houses and so on. But I want you to remember, I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one that established you. I'm the one that did this for you. And don't get to that point where you're going to say, it's my power, it's my might, it's my ability that has enabled me to get all of this wealth. It's none of that. It's God's grace in your life. Verse 18. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that gives the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore unto thy fathers as it is this day. If if there's any ability that any people have, I don't care whether you're Jewish or non-Jewish or whatever, to get wealth, it's because God has given you that ability. It's, It's not you. And God could cut it off just as quickly as he established it, if he so wants to. Um, But for the Jewish people, and and this is not to say all Jews are rich, okay? I always say I'm I'm example number one, that that all Jews are not rich, okay? I'm rich in spiritual blessings, which are so much more important than material things. Uh, I have a twin brother who's a millionaire who lives in a, I don't know, 4,000 square foot home in Dallas travels all over the world and this type of thing. I have not one ounce of jealousy because he doesn't know the Lord. Um, we were in California back in, um, I don't know when it was, when we were in California. Um, eight months ago, six months ago, I don't remember when it was. but we visited a man that I had led to the Lord a number of years ago, uh, Craig. And Craig was a Jewish believer. Uh, he came from a very successful line of uh, people, family. Um, his uncle was Gene Klein. I think I've shared this story with you before. Gene Klein was the uh, owner at one point of the San Diego, San Diego Chargers. Uh, he was the owner of yellow... Um, was it... Kentucky Derby winner. Winning colors. Thank you, Cheryl. Because uh, they came to the Bible study with winning color sweaters on, you know, because he had just won the Kentucky Derby. Gene Klein had, uh, Gene Klein didn't come to the Bible study, his nephew did. Um, Gene Klein had a 25,000 square foot home with a helicopter pad and all of this and Ranch of Santa Fe in San Diego. Well, Craig uh, ultimately came to the Lord. long story, but he went blind. And we saw Craig uh, six or eight months ago, and he was dying. Uh, and uh, he was blind. And uh, I'm glad we got the saw. Greg passed away about a month ago. Um, but he, he shared with us. He said, he said, everything I touch turns to gold. So I didn't know what I was going to do when I would turn, went blind. He went blind later on in life. About, I don't know, he was about 50 or 55. You know. And it's one thing to be born blind, and you, and you, you deal with it because it's always been. But when you go blind at 50, 55, What do you do with the livelihood, you know, if you need your eyes to see or whatever? He he, he, he started something. He got a commendation from the White House, made oodles of money. said, everything I touch turns to gold, Uh, the Midas touch. Well, that's not everybody. It's not every Jewish person. It's not every Gentile. But it's God that gives the ability to do that. Uh, And I share that because when we look at this blessing, Verse 28, therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. And generally speaking, that's been true for the Jewish world. And the reason God has allowed that is to, as it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, is that he giveth the power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant, which he swore unto thy fathers. The fathers are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The covenant is the Abrahamic covenant. I have given you this ability because that has enabled you at times to separate from the rest of society to keep you separate as a people that I might ultimately bring to fruition the Abrahamic covenant that I had promised you. This is what he's saying. This is the blessing to Jacob. Let people serve thee and may nations bow down to thee. Be Lord, this is verse 29 now in, in Genesis 27. <coughs> Be Lord over thy brethren, and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. So people are going to serve thee. People, Nations are going to bow down to thee. Now, ultimately, this is fulfilled in Christ in the millennium, but even in the millennium, the Jewish people, Zechariah 8, I think it's verse 13, says, Ten Gentiles will grab a hold of the skirt of a Jew and say, we must go with you because God is with you. And this is ultimately that they will be the head of the nations. Now, it's been 4,000 years of the opposite since the time of Abraham, but the day is coming when they will be the head of the nations. And that will actually take place. And then the end of verse 29, "Cursed be everyone that cursed thee, and blessed be he that blesseth thee. See, the promise of the Abrahamic covenant and the blessing portion of it, or the cursing portion of it, continues with Jacob. <coughs> Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then the Jewish people. The Abrahamic blessing, or cursing, if you're on the wrong side of the street, continue. This is the blessing that Isaac gives to Jacob. Now, why does he bless Jacob? Is it because of what happened? without even considering all the details at this point, with Rebecca and Jacob and Esau and going to get the venison, you know the story. Was that why Isaac blessed Jacob? I think not. By faith. In other words, Isaac knew the word of God. It's got to go back to Genesis chapter 25, And he, yes, blessed Esau because there's a blessing for Esau, but he also blessed Jacob because there's a blessing for Jacob. But there are two different people we're looking at. Uh, The Esauites will be uh, profane, generally speaking now, profane, ungodly people. With the Israelites, and this doesn't mean everybody in each camp, Doesn't mean every person that comes from Esau is an ungodly, profane person. That's not the case. It doesn't mean every Israelite is a godly, spiritual person. That is not the case as well. But generally speaking, where is the spiritual blessing and godliness going to reside in Israel? Where is is the profane action going to reside? in esau and his descendants and it's the descendants of esau that came up with this false god called allah and the false prophet that have deceived probably billions of people when they denigrated the name of the lord god but isaac blessed both of them because that was the word of god he understood that and he did that now the story is found in Genesis 27, 1 through 46. We looked at the blessing. So we're going to go through this, not the whole chapter. I only put down a few verses uh, total on all of this. But in verses 1 through 40, Isaac tells Esau, and, and more. most of us probably are, are well aware of the story to one degree or another. Isaac tells Esau to go hunting to get him some food before he blesses him. Isaac's intention at this point was to bless Esau. Esau was the favorite son. He liked his pork, well, I don't know if it was pork chops. But anyway, he liked his meat, his venison anyway, or whatever. So he, so he said, make me savory meat, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. Esau, your brother is not going to help me here. Go out and get some venison. Go out and get some, you know the food I really like. Go out and get it, cook it, bring it to me, and I'm going to bless thee before I die. Well, in verses 5 through 10, Rebekah, who had overheard the conversation between Esau and Isaac, tells Jacob to get a lamb, which she will prepare for Isaac so Jacob can get the blessing. Verses 8 through 10. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Go now to thy flock and fetch me from thence two kids of the goats, and I will make savory meat for thy father, such as he loves, and thou shalt bring it to the father that he may eat, that he may bless thee before his death. So Rebecca tells Jacob, you know, go get a couple of goats or lambs. Um, and I'm going to make the, 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 the tastiest dish your dad's had in years. So he's going to bless you. Well, in verses 11 and 12, Jacob questions his mother about doing this and bringing a curse upon himself. Because he said, You want me to go in? You want me to pretend, pretend to be Esau uh, that I can get the blessing this way? And verse 11 and 12 Jacob said to Rebekah's mother, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. So he didn't have a lot of hair, it seems, and uh, Esau was a hairy individual. My father, peradventure, will feel me, and I shall seem to him as a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. Now, I'm going to talk about this a little bit later in more detail. I shall seem to him, to my dad, Isaac, as a deceiver, and I'll be cursed then, and I won't get the blessing. So he was concerned about that. Well, in verses 13 through 17, Rebecca tells Jacob to obey and do what she has said. Just listen to your mom. Do what I say. Don't ask questions. How many times when you grown up did mom say, you don't have to know why, you just have to do. Just obey. You don't have to ask questions. So his mother said unto him, upon me be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice and go fetch me there. If there's any curse coming, let it be on me. Just do what I say. Go get the, go get the meat. I'm going to prepare the dinner. <coughs> well, Jacob goes before Isaac. He gets the blessing. That's verses 18 through 29. He came unto his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, who art thou, my son. And Jacob said unto his father, I am Esau, thy firstborn. I have done according as thou badest me. Arise, I pray thee, and sit in need of my venison, that... Thy soul, my, bless me. And Jacob went near unto Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice. But the hands are the hands of Esau because there was wool hair put on uh, on 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 Jacob's hands. And he discerned him not. So Isaac didn't discern that this really was Jacob because his hands were hairy as his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Art thou my very son, Esau? And he said, I am. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him, and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field which the Lord hath blessed. Now you read most commentators on this, and oh, Jacob's such a scoundrel, he's such a conniver, he's such a deceitful individual. He's lying to his dad, he's pretending to be his brother, he's not his brother, he wants to get the birthright and steal it from Esau, uh, yada, 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 yada. In verses 30 through 41, Esau comes before, and if you just read on the surface, that's true, but hold your horses, or your dogs, or your three-legged pigs, whatever, Esau comes before Isaac with a food, verses 30 through 41. So now Esau shows up. And Isaac, his father, said unto him, "'Who art thou?' Remember, Isaac is, is blind. "'Who art thou?' And he said, "'I am thy son, thy firstborn, Esau.' And Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, "'Who? "'Where is he that hath taken venison "'and brought it to me, "'and I have eaten of all before thou came?' And have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed. So Isaac seems to be indignant and says, somebody came and and did this to me and I blessed him. But then he, in a sense, steps back and says, you know though, he will be blessed. And he said, thy brother came with subtlety and taken away thy blessing. And he said, is it not he rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. And behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, has thou not reserved a blessing for me? So Esau says, my brother Jacob, two times now has taken what belongs to me. And he has replaced me. He has supplanted me. He has put himself in my stead unjustly. Father, do you have a blessing for me as well? Well, verse 41, and these are not consecutive verses, as you can see from the numbering. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of my mourning Days of mourning for my father at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. I'm going to wait until my father dies. We're going to sit shiva. Mourning. Then I'm going to kill him. Jacob. Because of what he did. Rebekah in verses 42 through 46. Then tells Jacob to flee. Because she knows what Esau wants to do. So. Is Jacob the scoundrel? The scoundrel. That he is often made out to be. Or is there more to what we see on the surface of this story? And I would submit to you, and I will say it at the end, I will say it now at the beginning, that we need to look at this not through the lens of human understanding, but through the lens of divine understanding. Because when we see this story from God's perspective, it is completely different, 180 degrees from the perspective of Stephen Cole, David Felker, F.B. Meyer, and just about every preacher who's ever preached on this subject. So I've got 10 things here I want to bring to your attention. Number one, not one verse, not one, in the entire word of God condemns Jacob not one God never condemns Jacob Isaac did Esau did Laban did but never does God condemn Jacob In fact God says Jacob have I loved The silence from scripture about any any negative Actions or attitudes by Jacob totally different from the usual portrayal of Jacob from too many pulpits and pens. In Genesis 25, 27, and I didn't put the whole verse down here and, and you can turn back there if you want. But in Genesis 25, 27, we get God's understanding of Jacob and the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. It's the word plain, plain man. Aaron Pick's Dictionary of Old Testament Words for English readers translates this word as perfect. Jacob is a perfect man. The theological workbook of the Old Testament likewise translates this as perfect and adds that it also means, quote, undefiled upright. God's commentary on Esau, when they were old now, he was cunning. He was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. Jacob was upright undefiled perfect godly and you can look at all kinds of different lexicons about what that plain man means and it means a godly individual a spiritual individual a perfect man not perfect without sin but one who desired to follow god one who was upright and undefiled in his actions that's god's commentary on jacob Now, to me, that carries a whole lot more weight than the commentary of Esau on Jacob, or Isaac on Jacob, or Laban on Jacob, or the dozens and dozens and dozens of preachers and writers in the pulpits of the world. Esau was a profane man, point number three. We are warned, lest there be any fornicator Or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. That's Hebrews 12, 16. Profane speaks of someone not interested in religious things. You know, in in this whole story, Esau comes back from the the field and there's this uh, pottage of stew that's been uh, made by Jacob, and Esau is hungry. Now he was giving the hyperbole I'm gonna die. I'm so famished. Give me some of your pottage. Give me some of your food. I, now, was Esau about to die? No, he wasn't even close to it. He had the birthright, yes. He was the firstborn. Remember what happened when he was born? You know, uh, He made his way to the front. They're twins. Uh, and Esau, and so as the firstborn, he would have the right. Uh, to the firstborn blessing you know Jacob grabbed his heel and, and followed out and was the secondborn. but the intent from the very beginning Genesis 25 God's word to Rebecca is that the elder Esau would serve the younger Jacob in other words the blessing would reside with the younger not with the older Jacob was only doing what he knew was spiritually right in his. Esau was not at all interested in religious things. I mean, he sold this birthright for a a meal, for a pot of stew. Not even a pot of stew, a bowl of stew. He was profane. Point number four, Jacob entered into a legal transaction when he bought the birthright. It was legal. It was Esau who despised the birthright and the promises of God, not Jacob. An effective argument has been made that Jacob and certainly Rebekah was, was seeking the spiritual blessings of God and the messianic succession of the birthright so the promise would not stay with an ungodly, selfish individual. Based on this transaction, the birthright now legally belonged to Jacob, It was no longer Esau's. And there have been writers, and there are writers, who have argued that they were honoring God, that they knew that the birthright could not remain with Esau uh, for a couple of reasons. He was profane, he was ungodly, he was not interested. But the other was that this was promised to Jacob all along, and that was God's intention. And they were just seeking God's will in this whole thing. Point number five it was Jacob who told, it was Rebecca who told Jacob to do the things he did. Seems that Jacob did not believe that he was doing something wrong. Since the birthright now belonged to him, it was his, his legally. Listen again to his response to his mother's request to obey her. Quote, My father peradventure will feel me and I shall seem to him as a deceiver and I shall bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. Jacob says, I will seem to him to be a deceiver. Since Isaac knew nothing about what had transpired between Jacob and Esau, he could possibly, yes, think of Jacob as a deceiver. But from Jacob's statement, it seems that he did not look on his actions as deceptive, but rather the receiving of what was now rightfully his. Isaac, he thinks, I will seem to my dad as a deceiver, but I'm not a deceiver. This is mine. This is what belongs to me. I'm not at all deceiving, even though Isaac might think I am. And that's how Isaac initially took it. But Jacob didn't, from this, think he was deceiving anybody. Verse point number six. It would seem that Esau was the deceiver in this case despising the birthright. He sold it to his brother and then tried to get it back by misleading his father. He lied to his father. He got rid of the birthright. He sold it. It was a legal transaction. And then he tried to get it back from his father Isaac. Point number seven. When Isaac asked Jacob to identify himself, his responses seemed to be many, to be an outright lie. I am Esau. The Art Scroll Tanakh commentary suggests an interesting understanding of the Hebrew, I am Esau, your firstborn. The comment is made that, quote, the commentators agree that technically Jacob did not lie. He chose his words deliberately. The intent of his his response being as Rashi explains, it is I who bring this to you. Esau, however, is your firstborn. Thus by adding your firstborn, Jacob was presenting an ambigu- 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 ambiguity, I'm struggling with that word, and intimating which was in, what was in fact the truth. And, and the construction of the Hebrew was such, "Yes, Esau is your firstborn. That's true, but this is my right. To have it, so it was. It was couched in a way that it was not a lie, and he presented the truth. He chose his words deliberately. I bring this to you, but Esau is your first point. Point number eight: the blessing given to Jacob by Isaac was never rescinded. One would think if Isaac thought he had been duped. He would have removed the blessing, but he didn't. He actually confirmed it. The scripture records that, quote, Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who, where is he that hath taken venison and brought it to me, and I have eaten of all before thou came, and have blessed him? Yea, and he shall be blessed. Now Isaac knew, somehow he knew, perhaps by the leading of the Holy Spirit, that the blessing should reside with Jacob, not Esau. Perhaps, we don't know why, but perhaps he trembled realizing how close he came to giving the blessing to the wrong son. You know, Isaac trembled very exceedingly. This, this is not tremble and anger. This is another type of trembling. Boy, I almost blew it. The inspired writer to the Hebrew confirms this understanding. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things come. He knew he had to bless Jacob based on the word of God. So, so perhaps he trembled, you know, realizing how he came so close to giving him to the wrong son. Um, how can we miss the understanding of Hebrews 11.20? That Isaac blessed Jacob through his faith in the God of his father. He was doing exactly what God wanted. And again, there is no hint of condemnation of wrong actions on the part of Jacob recorded in the entire word of God. Not one word, not one paragraph, not one sentence, not one hint of wrongdoing on the part of Jacob by God. By Esau, yes. By Laban, later, yes. By Isaac, yes, but not by God. No wonder Isaac would say, and he shall be blessed. Not only did he not rescind it, he confirmed that I was right in what I did. Point number nine, the unfortunate label of supplanter on Jacob has largely come about because of a statement by Esau. This ungodly, bitter individual's testimony, who wanted to murder him, who was profane, his statement has become the standard character description of Jacob. Supplanter. How tragic! Especially since this verse is translated, does not express the meaning of the verse. Let me quote Dr. James Cohen from his book, I Have Loved Jacob, and and I'm indebted to him. He's, he's got a whole book on this. And, and not all, but a lot of what's here came from that book. But let me quote what he says. We have mentioned before in this volume in the fact that nowhere can it be shown that the word Jacob in the Bible means supplanter. See, Jacob doesn't mean supplanter. Nowhere does it mean. It does not mean supplanter. That's a, that's a label given by Esau that people accept. That's what Jacob means. This is purely an imagination of certain Bible translators or interpreters. Whether such imagination was deliberate or accidental, we cannot, of course, assert. But the word Jacob means only heel. The back of the foot. Nothing else. And so the original Hebrew passage of Genesis twenty-seven thirty-six has been grossly misinterpreted and mistranslated in the English. The English rendering in this version reads, Is not he rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. But if we take the Hebrew just as it is written, the passage will read as follows. Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has Jacobed or healed me these two times. In other words, Esau simply made a play on the word Jacob, which means heel, not supplanter. Jacob grabbed the heel of Esau and followed him out of the womb. Heel grabber. Heel is what it means, not supplanter. Even if one were to accept supplanter as the meaning of Jacob, the word supplanter basically means to supersede or replace another. Yes, Webster's dictionary does say it is, is, it is done especially by force or treachery, but it does not need to have that inference. I, and I'm speaking here, not Joseph Cohn, I would suggest that the negative connotation of the phrase supplanter <clears throat> has been read into Jacob's actions based on a statement by Esau who is profane who is wanting to murder his brother and it's not based on an understanding of the entire context. So turn to page over. Point number 10. Jacob would go to Paddan Aram to get a wife as he was told to do by his mother and father. Before leaving, Isaac again, Genesis 28, 1 through 4, gave him his unqualified blessing. Would this have been done to an unrepentant fraud and deceiver? Certainly Isaac understood exactly what had happened up to this point, And yet he again gave him his unqualified qualified blessing no he wouldn't have done it if he was a fraud and an unrepentant deceiver there's a American rabbi who went to Israel years ago uh, used to write regularly for the Jerusalem Post and he comments on the possible motives of Rebecca and the deception of Esau in this episode which are helpful he wrote a column in the Jerusalem Post he said this Rebecca sees the world and Esau with different eyes. First of all, God himself, as it were, had told her that two nations were in her womb. That's true, right? God did tell her. And that the elder would serve the younger. <clears throat> and even more to the point, she grew up with Laban, the Aramean, a word linguistically connected with Ramah, deceiver, and its repetition three times in our portion suggests that Rebe- Rebecca knew only too well the sounds of a sp- Person speaking with forked tongue. Perhaps Rebecca sees such imagination as an opportunity to demonstrate Esau's true character. Rebecca cannot criticize Esau outright, the apple of his father's eye. The matriarch must demonstrate to her naive husband that he is capable of being deceived. He would also understand that the same deception had been practiced by Esau all these years. He was cunning. And this is precisely what happens. Esau's arrival with the venison produced a great trembling in Isaac, possibly evoking the trembling he felt on the altar. He realizes that just as his father once nearly sacrificed him, he has unconsciously been sacrificing Jacob, overlooking the son, given over to study and morality in favor of the son who craves animal blood. Rebekah. Sister of Laban, the Aramean deceiver, saw it all along. Isaac realizes at last that he is capable of being fooled. Hence, anger directed at Jacob is not appropriate. On the contrary, Jacob is the true heir to the blessing, which is why the key phrase is, moreover, and he shall be blessed. Jacob is not the deceiver. Esau is and has been all along. Upon leaving Beersheba and heading for Haran, Jacob bedded down for the night in a place he would eventually call Bethel. In the midst of his sleep, through a dream, God re-established the blessing to him. I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land wherein thou liest to thee will I give it, and to thy seed, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. And thou shalt spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And the blessing of God again to Jacob. Right after chapter 27 and uh, the birth and all that would take place reconfirms that God understood that this was exactly what should happen and Jacob will be blessed. Now before I summarize this with four points I think we can learn from this. The man who I quoted in the first paragraph was Dr. Henry Morris who is the author of the Genesis Record. He's with the Lord now. Uh, he was the founder of Institute of Creation Research. In my opinion, the Genesis Record is perhaps the finest commentary on Genesis you can find, be that as it may. After that opening paragraph... Yes, Kathy? Well, I was just wondering, is Bethlehem No. No, it's north of Jerusalem, uh, north of Bethlehem for that matter. Bethel is Bethel, so it's just a city, yeah. Um, after that paragraph where he describes what most people think about Jacob, here's what he says, Henry Morris. Sad to say, <clears throat> it is just such caricatures of Jacob and Esau and the Jews in general, a sketch in the above paragraph. That's the first one as we open tonight that have caused tremendous waves of anti-Semitism and persecution to be visited against the Jews down through the centuries. Somehow, even Christians have been caught up in the fever of anti-Semitic feeling on many occasions for reasons like this. Many pastors and Bible teachers who outwardly would deny strongly that they are anti-Jewish, nevertheless seem to let their hidden feelings on the subject come out when dealing with Jacob. It should not be thought that when we defend Jacob we are thereby are condoning lying and deception. However, one paramount consideration must consideration must be kept in mind in trying to understand and apply these passages in the book of Genesis. There is never a single instance in the Bible and the italics is by Henry Morris himself. There is never a single instance in the Bible of criticism of Jacob except on the lips of Esau and Laban, both of whom whom are unworthy witnesses. Every time God spoke to Jacob, it was in a message of blessing and promise, never one of rebuke or chastisement. If we would be faithful Bible expositors, therefore, we must be guided what God, by what God has actually said, not what we think He should have said. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord, Isaiah 55, 8. We suggest, therefore, Henry Morris says, that such an attitude is commonly expressed by Bible expositors revel, relative to Jacob is entirely out of line. When, for example, Dr. Schofield, in his reference Bible, had certain passages in Genesis by titles such as The Stolen Blessing, and Jacob reaps the harvest of his evil years, he is pronouncing moral judgments of his own, which are not at all founded on the actual biblical statements concerning Jacob. God's judgment concerning Jacob is given in Genesis 32, 28. As a prince hast thou power with God and with men and has prevailed. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob and I hated Esau. Malachi 1, 2, and 3. We have already discussed, Henry Morris goes on, at some length in chapter 15, God's decision to establish the messianic line and promises through Jacob rather than Esau, even before the two boys were born. This decision was clearly conveyed to Rebekah and Isaac. But the latter nevertheless favored Esau, resolving to give him both the birthright benefits and the patriarchal responsibilities. And blessings associated with God's promise to Abraham. As the boys grew, their characters soon their characters soon proved that God's decision had been eminently wise. Jacob was a plain, and this is Henry Morris, literally perfect or complete man, Genesis 25-27. Esau, <clears throat> on the other hand, despised. Is birthright, Genesis 25, 34. If we look at it from God's perspective, Esau is the deceiver, not Jacob. He has been so unjustly maligned through the corridors of history in the pulpits and pens of Christians, it's sad. What can we learn from this? I have four things. Number one. Our perception of things, apart from understanding the issue from the word of God, can lead us to faulty understanding. People read the account and say, he's a conniver, he's a supplanter, he's a liar, he's evil, he's unspiritual, speaking of Jacob. But when you look at it from God's perspective, you find none of that. Actually, you find the opposite. He's a perfect man, upright. Godly, complete. So, what are we told to do? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. Truth. We got a little. We got to study the word of God. Dig a little deeper, and that comes to every subject. <clears throat> In other words, point number three: believe what God says before we believe the beliefs of man. You know the the Bereans were commended. Why? They in Acts seventeen they received the word of God with all readiness of mind, but they did what? To see whether it be so. Just because your preacher, your pastor says something is true, or just because I say something is correct or true, you have the responsibility of checking it out. Me, your pastor whatever writer the case might be. And ultimately believe God before you believe man. And that that covers so many subjects and so many things in, in, in the Christian world. Uh, and I could just go down and start naming a whole list of them because so-and-so said it. He Could have been a church father. He could have been one of these famous saints of old. Uh, maybe he's a Spurgeon. Maybe he's a Calvin. Maybe he's an... Uh, Augustine maybe he's a John MacArthur maybe you plug in the name there and because that individual said it, it's got to be true <clears throat> it's only true because God said it. and a cursory look at any given subject can ultimately lead to a misleading of that sometimes we need to dig deeper but that takes work and I think we need to dig deeper when it comes to Jacob I think there's two overriding thoughts again when it comes to Jacob. There is not one, <clears throat> you will not find it in the Word of God, condemnation of Jacob by God. Not one. Secondly, when Jacob's older, God himself says he is an upright, perfect, in other words, spiritual individual who wanted to honor God. I cannot believe someone like that, who God gives that type of understanding to his character, would become this, what did Stephen Cole say? He probably said it as badly as anybody. He's not a spiritually minded man. He does not fear God. He does not fear his moral law. He only fears the scheme that might not work, and he might get cursed instead of blessed. He wanted the wealth and advantage with one well, along with a blessing. He was seeking his own way under the guise of seeking God's way. Stephen Cole, you're 100% wrong. I'm going to reside with God and not with men like Stephen Cole when it comes to Jacob. He was a perfect man. Not sinless, but upright, complete, godly. And that was God's definition of him when all of this came about. How do we get what we get about Jacob when we listen to God? You don't. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Dig a little deeper. All of us need to. Let's pray. And we do have dessert. Father, thank you for this, uh, the word of God. And uh, Lord, uh, this is probably different for many here tonight. Maybe the first time they've ever heard this about Jacob. They've grown up here and Jacob is... uh, a sublanter, a deceiver, uh, an ungodly individual, uh, a liar. That's not your commentary. You don't find that about Jacob in the word of God, not at all. Every time you speak highly of him, you give him a blessing. May we understand this through your eyes, Lord, and the word of God. In all that we study, all that you teach, that you would be glorified. Bless our fellowship, bless the food, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries, thanking you for listening to our Bible study. These Jewish Awareness podcasts are a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. If you have questions about the study that you just listened to, or would like additional information, go to our website, JewishAwareness.org, email us at office at JewishAwareness.org, or call us at 919-275-4477. Shalom.